accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called The Adversary. It's the season finale, the end of season three, episode number 26 of the third season. First aired on the 19th of June, 1995, written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by Alexander Singer. In this episode, a Federation ambassador brings newly promoted Captain Sisko orders to take the Defiant on a patrol of the Senkethi border, where the stabilizing coup has just taken place. But everything is not as it seems. Clay, you must have loved this one because you love John Carpenter's The Thing. I love this episode for two reasons. One, phase. Two, rifles. <laughs> the first, phase rifles are always a good sign. <laughs> this first Star Trek to have a weapon with a trigger on it is that this episode's claim to fame, I think. Uh, which now, is nice are these... Trivia. These are different than the phase rifles that show up in First Contact, right? I think so. Because they look like they cost about $3 to make. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like wet cardboard when a character catches one. It's just kind of like it crumples in their hand a little bit as they're holding onto it. Yeah, at first I was like, oh yeah, phase rifles. They must be... The, I wonder if they're just the same prop from, from First Contact. And then I was looking at them and going, no. It looks like they just put a... Like a wrapping paper tube on the back of a phaser. <laughs> We're up to the season finale of season three. It feels like it takes forever to get to these places, but then you end up where uh, you never thought you were going to be. It's called The Adversary. We're going to take a break, I'll play an audio clip, and we'll come back and break it down. Captain, I just want to say that I agree with what Chief O'Brien said about your promotion. It's about time. I appreciate the sentiment, Commander, but it really doesn't change anything. I have the assignment I want, I have the crew that I want. The rank doesn't make much difference. You'd be surprised. People don't enter Starfleet to become commanders, or admirals for that matter. It's the captain's chair that everyone has their eye on. That's what I wanted when I joined up. You don't get to be a captain wearing a gold uniform. You could always transfer from security to command. Then who would protect the ambassador? (laughs) All right, Clay. So we talked about in the last one, uh, Facets, we talked about how the season kind of seems like it ran out of money on some level uh, after Mm. the die is cast in Improbable Cause. And they had to coast for a couple episodes to get to the end of the season. This one feels that way. Although originally this episode was going to be a much bigger scale. So uh, we're we're at a very interesting, just a little bit of history. We're at a very interesting point of DS9 because this is the start of this episode and into the fourth season is the start of the uh, executives in charge of production starting to get more involved and become upset with the way that ratings were going for the show. Mm. And... This was not the plan for this episode. This episode originally was going to be a two-parter cliffhanger. And the production executives, for some reason that's not clear, I can't find it anywhere, decided that they did not want a cliffhanger. And they said, you have to do something self-contained and keep it to this season. Uh, This is going to tie in with the fourth season, 
which in my opinion is maybe one of the strongest seasons of Star Trek that's ever been done, but it ties into our, our thing here of, we've mentioned before about how sometimes the best creativity comes from restraints on people. Mm. Yes. And season four was heavily restrained with what the creative staff were allowed to do or what they were told to do in terms of a story. And mm-hmm. it ended up <clears throat> reining in their options. And I think it ended up in one of the strongest episodes. So this episode is kind of similar to that. We're not in season four yet, but it is a very, it's not a bottle episode because they built a lot of sets for this that we've never seen before. Like the defiant engine room is something we've mm-hmm. never seen before. But it's a very contained episode that's pretty effective, in my mind, at portraying what the changelings can do, how the changelings go about their business, and how fighting an enemy like the changelings can cause your side to fall apart under paranoia that's uh, involved with the changelings. Um, what, did, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, yeah, it's it's basically just John Carpenter's The Thing, but... In Star Trek, which yeah. is, you know, I'm never going to say that's going to be a bad idea. Right. Uh, I would watch. I would. I w- more shows should just make a John Carpenter's The Thing episode because it almost always works. Um. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I. It was uh, a great. Another great example of um, rushing towards something that you never see. Right. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I thought all that. Yeah, the 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 coup and you know all that kind of stuff. Which I guess uh, yeah, isn't there to see in the first place, right? It's not there at all to that's see. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought it worked pretty well. Um, I liked the fake out at the end with the blood thing. That was good. Uh, I did think once once Odo brought... I feel like Odo dropped a couple really important ways you can distinguish who is a changeling. Like, way late. First of all, like, apparently they don't sweat. Yeah where I feel like they could have used that one as a way really early, just, like, get everybody in the same room and see who's not sweating their ass off. Um, or <laughs> I was the blood surprised thing. that didn't come back. How did that not, not come back? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a weird detail to, to bring up and not, and not have it come back. Maybe there's a, a scene they cut or something. Um, and the blood thing, I feel like, feel like before they start, like, going hallway to hallway... You know, using these uh, repolarized phase rifles or whatever the hell they're using, Odo should have been like, uh, "We could actually just check by everyone's blood, and yep. then you know, we this would be done in about twenty minutes." <laughs> it's um, although that that's true. Although the changelings are very good at escaping from whatever situation they get put that's into. That's true. I guess that is so true. It's um, I I agree with you. The the blood thing seems obvious. Um, I like the way that they played off where the changeling just becomes the vial as well like so he shapeshifts into the vial and then his blood he pretends to be changing oh blood. is that what he did i actually didn't even piece it i thought he just had a different one in his hand or something but that no, makes a lot more sense he's yeah. shapeshifted into the vial um so uh, that's how I mean, they got yeah, around it. that works um and i i really liked uh you know in in a payoff that i didn't th- i wasn't totally expecting them to go this route um i did like the setup of Odo talking about how um, changelings this is a really good Odo episode for 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 a few reasons and and, and very in subtle subtle ways in some ways and and more uh, overt ways in others um, like the setting up talking about how uh, no changeling has ever harmed another one yeah they keep, they keep t- mentioning that yeah yeah and then on top of that him saying that 
in all of his years of, of being a constable, he's never had to use violence and he's never had to kill anybody. He doesn't plan on starting to do it now. Um, and even I thought there was a great line uh, when they were in when it was him and uh, what's his name? Uh, um, security officer forehead there, whatever. His name <laughs> is. Michael Eddington. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, when Eddington turns to him and says, can you give us any insight about how this guy thinks? And he says, no, I'm not him. It's like that. That was a nice little character line that it, it doesn't seem like much, but actually goes a long way. Yeah, I, I um, think his line is, I don't actually feel like I relate to my people or something. He says something, yeah. it, it just shows how isolated he is from the other changelings, that he's unfamiliar. Just because he shares their genetics doesn't mean that he really understands what they're all about. Yeah, and then to end it with him killing the dude, and 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 they do it in such a way where he does it because it needs to be done, and only afterwards does he kind of recognize exactly what he's done. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought the really good Odo stuff in this episode. Yeah, the um, and it feels like that's weird because it feels like it's going to be a Cisco episode for obvious reasons because he gets promoted. But uh, it is it is you know even I hesitate to call it an it's not really an Odo episode. It's, I it's was going to say it's not an Odo episode. It's just he probably has the most development. Across yeah, it. it is a pretty successful ensemble episode. I would say where yep. nobody really gets the focus, but Odo does get a lot of movement. So, so we'll we'll come back. To, we'll, we'll talk more about Odo. But you brought up the uh, the promotion thing. I feel we ought to get it out of the way. You would ask if Cisco ever gets promoted. Uh, he does. This is his promotion episode. I I did like the fake out at the beginning too, where he's like, "This is my last commander log, log entry as commander." You're like, oh my god, is he gonna die? And as a uh, a Star Trek fan, I kind of get it. Gives you a little bit of a thrill when his next one is like, cap, like he just announces Captain's log very like emphatically, yeah. and it's, it's yeah. just like, oh, we're back to Star Trek, and we know what it is. Yeah, man, you know, again, it's it's different on this show because they're always doing the log. Uh, I mean, it's only now Captain's log, but man, it really does add a lot to Star Trek. I recently rewatched Star Trek Beyond, which I do like. I I, I think. It's probably my favorite of the new Kelvin movies. Yeah. But, man, it just really hooks you right away to hear, to see that ship go across the screen and then hear Kirk say Captain's Log. It just, it works. And, you know, that was a big thing I remember when we were covering Discovery, is how the lack of that felt like they were, you know, leaving a lot of, uh, um, leaving a lot on the... Yeah, leaving a lot of story opportunity on the table and just like the it's the easiest way to get you into a Star it yeah. it's the it's the one thing that people use as a joke that instantly reads as Star Trek. If you're gonna make a Star Trek joke in some show, they say Captain's Log or something right. like that, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well we yeah, to sort of put a point on it for people who aren't familiar, we were saying that in uh Star Trek episodes, it's helpful to use the Captain's Log because you're dealing with something sci fi that is made up basically so yes. the captain's log allows you to summarize what people have just seen on something like it'd be like or, or to explain what the setup of the episode we're at this planet we're negotiating a peace <clears throat> tree these are the problems i'm going to run into and as an audience member you're like okay i know exactly right. what i need to expect about this episode and that's what they yeah to. yeah it, it sets the runway for you so you can just you know jump off into the weirder stuff and and not have people confused which i think is you know in discovery they didn't do and i think they ended up getting getting a little weird and and hard to follow in some spots because of it my uh ds9 continually tweaking tng continues to be a funny thing they have miles o'brien who was a tng character say that cisco is the best captain in the fleet shots fired yeah 
Shots fired. Hopefully they address that in the new Picard series. What if the whole series <laughs> is just Picard driving to O'Brien's house to just, like, rip him a new one? He's been living 20 years thinking about that each and every waking moment. Um, the, the captain promotion really but doesn't But they add. got their revenge, didn't they? Because Miles O'Brien did not show up in any of those movies. No. That's, yeah, that's, wow. That's true. Wait, wait, is he in, is he not in Generations? I guess he's not. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. That's too bad. Um, Even Wesley Crusher got to show up in one of those movies. <laughs> um, the Captain promotion doesn't really do anything in this episode. Right. It's not about that. Um, they kind of just do it just to get it out of the way, I feel like. Uh, he takes command of the Defiance, which he had been doing previously, but I guess it feels more appropriate now to say that the com- uh, Defiant is commanded by a captain. You know, not to go on a tangent about the captain thing but there is a line in here that i found interesting and i wonder if it's a little bit of an insight or uh amusing on what draws people into star trek to some extent because you mean audiences or characters in the universe uh audiences okay what the hell is that guy's name again eddington 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 they have a great scene with him and cisco have a great scene together yeah and and he says to him you know Nobody joins Starfleet ex- hoping to become uh, uh, whatever it was, a security, security officer. Or, yeah. Or, or, yeah. And everyone is there always to be captain. And I wonder if that's... It, it is interesting how... I mean, obviously in this series, Cisco is a commander, but you don't think of him as a commander. You think captain. And I wonder yeah. if, if that... If him being a captain really does make a difference as far as the way that you perceive the show. And I wonder if Star Trek shows in general, like there always needs to be that captain character because that is sort of like the inroad for Star Trek uh, from the audience is like the captain is always, is the main character or, but it, or is always there. And yeah. it's, I don't necessarily know if that's a, a necessity, but it seems to be a constant, which is interesting. I wonder, because the way that I talked to, started talking about this with uh, more executive insight, I wonder if that's a, an executive note, almost. Like, why isn't he a captain yeah. to match the yeah. other series at this point? Because it doesn't add anything. To, the, the episode is not... You could have not had that promotion, and this episode is exactly the same as it, had, as it would have been with his promotion being a part of it. Um, Maybe they were uh, th- just thinking ahead and thinking, well, it's not going to sound right at the conventions when we introduce Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, Captain Janeway, and Commander Sisko. Yeah, although, you know, I don't know if I'm just used to it. Commander Sisko feels better than Captain Sisko. It does. It sounds, it rolls off the tongue better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we, we get a nice little scene with those guys. Uh, everyone's congr- congratulating Sisko. Sisko meets with this ambassador who says that we have to go to uh, stop this coup that's taking place in a made-up place of made-up aliens that we've never seen before. And we head off there. The uh, The ship, the Defiant that they take, is sabotaged halfway through, and then it is revealed that a Changeling is on board. Um, before we get to the Changeling stuff, I guess, which is the meat and potatoes of it, I, I did want to talk about Eddington here. That's a very good scene between the two of them where they're talking about command and uh, Eddington says, then I can't switch because then who will be security chief? Um, right. It is a, it's a much more, it's a more cynical look at the Starfleet and Star Trek universe that DS9 tends to do. Uh, this guy sort of feels trapped by his job 
on someone. Mm. Like he's he's not in the place that he wanted to be, and that's not the way the Star Trek characters are portrayed. Everyone is where they want to be at some point, and Eddington is not. He's done differently. Um, and th- th- that's a consistent character beat throughout his entire thing, where it, when Cisco gets his promotion, Eddington has the line, well, as someone who is obsessed with rank and stuff, I'd like to congratulate you as well. Uh, so they're building Eddington in that way. Eddington is very interested in the um, mechanics of Starfleet and the sort of uh, the promotion and the chain of command and everything like that. I just I, lo- yeah. I like the character. I think he's he's odd. We mentioned an improbable cause was when he was reintroduced to the Dice cast. He hasn't been around mm-hmm. for a while. He's apparently been there, but we just never see him. And he's a good character to bring in. <clears throat> I think this show, a strength of the show is the secondary characters in a way that TNG was yeah. not really that way. And I think that all the secondary characters are pretty well done on this show to this point. Yeah, he's, I, he's there. I, and I mean, if you think about it, We've spent much more time with all the surrounding cast than Cisco. At least, at least that's how I feel. Anyway, I feel like Cisco is not that much more of a, a prominent character than everybody else. It really does feel like an ensemble. Yes. Yep. Um, and as far as Eddington's character, you know, it, I guess it is more cynical. But I wonder if it isn't just the way that his character specifically. I don't know if it's. I would say it's a, a cynical comment on Starfleet or anything, but. I wonder if it's just more his character because we, I mean, we've run into stuff like that before, not exactly the same thing. Like, like the big criticism of Riker was always that he could be the captain of his own ship 10 times over. He just chooses not to be. Yep. Um, and Eddington, if you're going by that same sort of logic, I wonder if Eddington is, is it's less of a cynical reading of Starfleet and more that maybe he, I don't know, maybe he has some sort of, uh, fear of success or, you know, uh, something like that where it's, I mean, he could choose, he could change over if he wants to, but that would have to disrupt his life. Oh, see, and I, I'm probably reading more into this character than they ever get into with him. But. No, Eddington is very important. Eddington is a very oh, yes, important okay. character. So it's good to discuss this and see where you stand on him now. But Eddington, um, see, it's interesting you'd say that because I feel that the TNG universe portrays it as totally Riker's choice that this is not happening to him. Right, right. And Eddington, I get the sense more he's gone down this path and it's now too late. He can't make that change at this point. Yeah, I can see that too. And I I think that that's slightly more of a cynical. It's more that people are, it feels more realistic. It's more like if you've gone down this path, you can't just sort of uproot yourself and move into this whole new different thing. Um, But you get get the slightest bit of... uh, disenfranchisement with Mm -hmm. Eddington that Riker doesn't have because Riker is choosing to do what he wants to do. And also, I mean, he is someone who says he's obsessed with rank and command and everything. And I mean, that tells me that he's going to choose doing his job over anything else that he might feel like, you know, he did in the dice cast, right? He obeyed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like in order for him to to switch over, he would have to abandon his po- well, not abandon his post in the literal sense, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And to him, he's not being a good make, soldier if he. Yeah. Switches. To him, doing the job that he was assigned is the important is is what he brings to the table. It's what it's the important part of 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 him being in that job. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. <clears throat> It's nice. It's uh, it ties into Cisco's thing. They basically forgiven him, right? I mean, it was a little clunky when they forgave him in the dice cast, but you you get a yeah, little bit of yeah. That was just that was really strange. <laughs> you you get a better sense here of um, he's not 
I think the writers wanted to be cautious about not casting him as just the sort of pain in the ass character. Right. So right. they they reversed uh, they reversed on that, and his characterization of in the dice cast plays into this episode because we're in an episode that's dealing with an imposter. So you're not likely to trust Eddington going into this, mm-hmm. and the changeling doesn't really play on that, but they do. When, it, when they believe that it's Eddington, everyone is like, oh, it's definitely this guy. Like, he's definitely the changeling. Uh, so his, his sort of characterization, even though he's supposed to be a different alien species, uh, I think the personality of him ties in a little bit. And as an audience member, you're watching it going like, I don't really trust that guy. In this series of imposters, I don't know. I wonder what Eddington is up to and stuff like that. They could have done a scene that mirrors the one in the die's cast. And he's like, well, you're right. I was the changeling, but I'm not anymore. So we should probably work together. <laughs> um was there anything else besides i mean otherwise it's really just kind of getting into the tone of the episode and the uh the changeling and everything i really like you know we we always make fun of um star trek episodes that are just running down hallways and shooting Mm -hmm. i think this is the episode that disproves the rule or whatever it's it's the exception that proves the rule i think because this is a well there's no running in this one really it's sort of just like confronting people in hallways sure it's it's a lot of power walking they are sweating a lot so they must be power walking at least somewhere but um i think that the i think it's a really effective it's a really good use of the defiant too because doing this on the station wouldn't make as much sense it's very claustrophobic on the defiant it's a very small ship yeah i still don't totally understand the layout or how big the Defiant is, yeah, but it, yeah. it, it it makes a lot more sense than DS9, yeah. Um, and so what did you think of the, I mean, the paranoia is a big aspect. So we can get into the, the Changelings here, which basically stems from, we're getting a lot of information about how the Changelings work, right? In the search, we learn that they like to learn what their enemy thinks and how they'd react to a certain situation. Mm-hmm. We, know, we know that they are observers, and that ties into that. Uh, we know that they are willing to do the long con with what they did against the Cardassians and the Romulans where they laid the trap for the entire season until it panned out and they were able to sort of get an advantage over those two. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, we learned that the most, maybe the most obvious aspect of being the changelings is that the changelings are able to infiltrate places and right. uh, become, uh, we learned here that the changeling, the changelings are... I think this is the first time I've ever said it. When they change into something, they literally change into it. Like, so if he turns into a rat, he becomes a rat. When um, they sit around the house, they sit around the house. When they sit around, which is good because I think that's an they important rule. They are an rule. entire race of your mama so fat jokes come to life. I know. It's like the 90s just coming back at me full blast. It's uh, it's nice that the... I, I think that was an important rule to establish just so that you can't scan them. You can't scan the chair and say, oh, there's a changeling. Right. So right. they are... Very good at fitting in. They are perfect shapeshifters, unlike Odo. And the way that they... They're a super effective enemy in this episode. Like, one changeling basically is unstoppable until he has to expose himself at some point because he needs to do his plan. Uh, What did you think about the changeling development here? Um, I thought it was good. I thought it added a lot of um, really interesting stuff and, and, and had them... It presented them in a way, a, a threatening way that they really hadn't been presented up to that point. Like it's, they at least from what the what I've seen, like they they've never really been specifically involved in, um, active antagonistic stuff 
the it's seams, the most it's, it's it, the most aggressive shape shifting yeah, we've seen. That's what, yeah, I guess that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, the the last one that we saw was the uh the guy from Seven was a uh, a Romulan who turned out to be uh, yep. a changeling and who never and changed back. The, he was just a Romulan the entire right. time. And yeah. and there he was like he wasn't being aggressive, he was manipulating the situation, but in a much more uh puppet mastery kind of way. And even when they any time that we've run into you know, was that female changeling who is that Odo's mom? Is that the implication? I can't remember. No, she's she's not. Okay, well, anyway, uh, her or even the first time on the planet—they're not specifically aggressive. They are in charge of people who are, but they are not themselves. So to have an episode where it's just one changeling being very aggressive, uh, puppet mastering the situation, but also then when backed into a corner, having no problem with just starting to fucking kill people. Yeah, um, I mean, they, <clears throat> although he doesn't really kill any, I, I suppose you could still say that they prefer not to get their hands dirty because... Well, he killed that one guy. Who did he kill? Uh, the guy who was going around with Cisco. He choked him to death. Oh, is that guy dead? Or was he just... I, th- I think so, because every time they kept showing him, he was laying there with his eyes open, so I assumed <laughs> no, he was okay. dead. <laughs> Maybe he although, killed that guy. I guess it's tough, because Cisco checks his pulse, but he doesn't really say anything after that, so... It, Maybe he's dead, maybe he's not. I thought he was dead, so I thought after he checked his pulse and he was like, Cisco, in- instead of doing the thing and he's like, uh, man down, blah, 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 he's like, I'm going after the changeling and just leaves. You're right, yeah. Oh, that, that's funny. I actually thought he was alive and he was saying, like, he checked his pulse and realized he was alive and knew he could leave to go Maybe that's something. what it was, but I, I could have sworn he was laying there on the ground with his eyes open. See, I, I think that Which the, is the universal symbol for dead in movies. I, th- I think that the... Uh, yeah, you either fall off a bridge or your eyes are open, and one, or you do the two of them to make sure that people laugh. Yes. I think that the... Or sometimes, in Star Trek, bridge falls on you. I think um, they're probably limited story-wise in what they can do here, but they have to kind of work in the fact that the changelings don't just go T-1000 and turn their arms into blades and cut everyone's head off at yes. some point. You yeah. know, like, they... I think, and I think it fits the changeling characterization that they're more Machiavellian than that. They they haven't really stated that they're outright opposed to violence. They do have the Jem'Hadar be violent for them, mm-hmm. but they are much more of they're much more um, above that. They they almost prefer they almost look down on it as sort of like a lesser species would be doing this, and we're above it, and we're just going to kind of manipulate the situation into something that we can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, limited by the fact that they can't just have this guy come on and start killing people with his blade arms, but I think it works. I th- I'm, I'm, I'd prefer that they'd be that way than sort of a like fighting force, I guess. Yeah, I would agree, and I, I especially because, <clears throat> um, you know, the Jem'Hadar are a very blunt instrument, and so having the the changelings be just as formidable, but much more of a a, a, bl- a sharp scalpel type instrument. Um, I think makes a lot of sense. That's a that's a good way to put it. They are, they are the um, scalpel that infiltrates and can do off uh, sort of covert missions in the way that the Jem'Hadar can't do. They're the ones mm. that sort of go in and stomp your face. Um, now, based on the ending of this episode and the little I cheated ahead and watched of the next episode of season four. <laughs> because um, did Netflix autoplay or were you interested to see what I was, was just curious to see what everybody looked like because I assumed that there was going to be some sort of change. And we can talk about that when it happens because season four looks like it is it was on UPN because UPN has a very, for some reason, 
shows that they sci-fi shows and shows in general on UPN just have a very specific look to them. Sure. Um, and I see Kira not got a new haircut, but um, <laughs> and also also Cisco gets a new haircut. Yep. Yep. Is the thrust of the next season that basically Starfleet has been infiltrated by shape-shifting changelings? Uh, that is something that will be coming down the pipe. That was originally the idea of how they were going to do make this into a two-parter. Oh, it, I see. Okay. This episode is going to take place on Earth, and Cisco would learn that a changeling infiltration of Earth and Starfleet has happened. Yeah, because I was thinking um, there's a Marvel Comics villain called uh, alien race called the Skrulls, and they're mainly Fantastic Four villains, and their thing is they're shape changers, and they can you know do whatever. Yeah, they can you know change and mimic powers and stuff. And uh, there was a big crossover event a handful of years ago called Secret Invasion, where they found out that like. Up to half, I think, of the Marvel Comics heroes had been replaced at some point with Skrulls. Right. Uh, and it was it's a really good idea. So when you have an opportunity, you have a character like that where you can... It, you never know when it could turn out that one of these guys ends up being a shape changer or a changeling or something like that. It's 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 yeah. it's a pretty it's a good it's a really easy shorthand to ratchet up your tension and stuff, and it's 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 a good idea. I, I think it what the the mo of the changelings and which what they kind of do here is the shape shifting is because they're not going to be the force that goes out and cuts off heads. They're going to play up the paranoia aspect of what the changelings can do to places. Mm -hmm. And the changeling MO is to just cause chaos beyond the other side. Like they they say that in this episode, like what the changeling you're trying to do is get the Federation into a war with someone else so that they are uh, distracted from what the dominion threat would be coming through the wormhole. And the paranoia aspect fits much better into Deep Space Nine's ethos and sort of tone where definitely yeah. uh, the the parent like not to spoil the Klingons are a huge part of season four next year and the Klingons and we've talked about this before all of the species have different reactions to the Dominion threat and what the changelings are going to do as they do in this episode, the changelings are very interested in breaking down alliances on the other side of the wormhole. Um, they do, they're trying to do that here. This is basically the thrust of like how they sort of work as a force until the actual dominion war starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the paranoia is interesting to me because this is based off of, you know, it's a, it's kind of a John Carpenter the thing, but Star Trek doesn't really do paranoia. On TNG, paranoia wouldn't make sense. You know, like the right. the cast and the crew trust each other on TNG. DS9 is different. You've got characters you haven't really been familiar with. Eddington betrayed you before. You don't really know what Odo's thinking. We've had the Dice cast episode where to reveal that Odo just wants to go home on some level. Um, <coughs> and I, I think it's, it's kind of neat, and it's a it's something that's very unique to the series. Just this kind of, you can never be sure of what you're doing. And we watched a whole bunch of season three episodes that were all about identity. And how do you identify, and what does it mean to identify that way? And the changelings are kind of a natural extension of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always find it interesting, or I should say I am finding it interesting watching this show, how... You know, I, I don't think that what they're doing on Deep Space Nine is um, in any way betraying the ethos of Star Trek, the concept. Yeah, some people uh, do think that. Some people yeah. think it's too dark. 
I don't think that it is because I think Deep Space Nine is presented that the setting and stuff allows you to. Um, they are so far removed from everything else and so out on the fringe that it allows you to test the boundaries of the Star Trek concept and the ethos in a, in a way that is realistic. You know, like not everybody's good. You know, we've said this a million times that, you know, not not everybody is going to be. A, it's not just a, a Starfleet made up of Gene Roddenberry's where everybody is always on the same page at every at every moment. You know, you, the further you get away from Rome the uh uh the less you're uh, i can't finish that metaphor but you know what i mean like there's <laughs> right. you know it's like the further you get away from the source you're going to have more external pressures r- testing your resolve yep and so i think there's it makes perfect sense for them to have especially when uh, when you've got something like this where they're not deep space 9 isn't out there trying to spread the gospel so to speak they're in one place and the external forces are pushing in on them. Yeah. Um, so it makes perfect sense that they would, it would breed this paranoia um, and test the boundaries of, of what Star Trek is and all that kind of stuff. And I think, and I think that's uh, an aspect of it that is not necessarily understood when they've tried to do that since. Um, I think deep space nine was a fairly unique opportunity for you to to push to test the boundaries of the concept but still have it make sense because the setting is so different yeah and i i mean i'm still struck by how much the characters argue with each other on this show they they fight with each other in a way that we haven't seen on other star treks like in uh tos they kind of did fight but it was ultimately it was tos was just kind of fighting about the job, sort of. The DS9 yeah. fights feel a little bit more personal. Like, you'd always have Bones and Spock arguing about the best thing to do. But the DS9 um, characterization is, even when they're just kind of relaxing, playing darts, they're arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is more natural feeling. And it also allows you to do this kind of paranoia build-up. Where, if you inserted the paranoia stuff into, like, a TNG it would feel so abrupt to get to that point. You'd, you'd almost assume right. that an alien influence had taken over their minds or something, right. uh, which maybe was actually a TNG episode, but it wouldn't come naturally from the characters knowing each other because you would they, the universe is not set up in that way, and it's a little bit different here. Right, and everybody who's on the Enterprise, who serves in the Enterprise, has the same goal in mind. So that unity makes sense. But on Deep Space Nine, you've got, you've got Starfleet people who are serving alongside of Bajoran people, who are serving alongside of, I is what is Odo? Who, what is his allegiance to? Like, uh, he's, he a, he's a Bajoran security officer. He is, okay. I thought, I thought so, because he's got the same pin, and he wears, like, the brown version of Kira's suit. Yep, yep. Um, and then you've got civilians yeah. like Quark. Yeah, you've got civilians who are, who are there who have no, uh, you know, they've got no dog in the race other than their own. So, it, it yeah, it makes perfect sense that the, the atmosphere would be... A, not more um, competitive or antagonistic, but that there is a little bit more, you know, uh, there are more variables, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it interesting. I mean, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, maybe you can. Who knows? But <laughs> I guess that's the definition of episodic TV. But <clears throat> well, how do you feel? How do you feel about the serialization of the show at this point? 
I think it's great. Um, you know, I, I think not to to keep dragging this through the mud, but like I think I think it works better here than it did on Discovery because by the time I guess it's a little unfair because they didn't start out uh, serialized on Deep Space Nine. And they don't really start doing it until you've had plenty of time to get familiar with the characters. Yep. Um, whereas they were serialized from Jump Street on uh, on Discovery and so focused on plot, or you know, cramming so many so many different plots into every episode to the point where nobody knew what was going on, that they didn't have any time. I think that was one of our big critiques: is that they just didn't have any time to spend with any of these characters to make you care about what the hell was happening. Yep. Um, so Deep Space Nine definitely benefits from having, you know, by the t- by this point in the series, I mean, I haven't watched every episode, but I've watched enough where I understand pretty much how all of these characters operate. And so I can track them from episode to episode and see how they change and how their relationships change and stuff like that, which is it's it it's they just can't do on Discovery or they yeah. haven't done. Yeah. Yes. It needs to be. Yeah, discovery discovery needs to be smaller. You could arguably arguably say that DS9 could be bigger just because of the amount of episodes that you see in each one. You know, yeah, like the yeah. discovery story needs to be pared down where the DS9 story could be bigger. I'm glad they like, but the change would have been too abrupt if they went bigger. DS9 is a halfway point between the TNG model and sort of modern television. Yeah, it's still relatively <clears throat> self-contained, but as, as you're noticing. We never had a situation in TNG where you came in after five episodes and I had to like catch you up on one. Right. Like the, yeah. it's like this character is never going to come back and you're going to be curious about it. But like like Burial sticks in my mind. You like you it's you miss his death and you're like oh really he died because they they bring him up in five episodes after he's dead. Right. Um, right. And TNG never really had that. It's 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 interesting. It's a very it's a subtle serialization, but it's really it's really noticeable when you stop. When you watch the show this way, and if you're not seeing every single episode, the 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 clunks of missing it is more obvious in some ways. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, like because I mean, like I said, I think uh, not facets, but the one before that, there is a moment towards the beginning where one of the characters just kind of gives you a quick recap, and I was like, oh man, that was really helpful. Oh right, <laughs> they talk about yeah. shit that I didn't see. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a refresher. That's what the captain's log is there for. Yeah, exactly. Um. Let's see. Is there anything else about the adversary? What would you think of the adversary as a season finale? It feels very well. All right, so I, it, it definitely I, ends as a season finale. Yeah, Where I was Odo just going to say. In. Yeah, go ahead. It, you can, you can it, talk. It didn't feel like a season finale until the last few minutes there, when uh, when Odo comes in and says, "You're too late" or whatever. That was when it felt like a season finale. The, up, yeah, up the, to that, the music cue, yeah. yeah. Yeah, up to that point, it just felt like it could have just been any episode. Oh, I was going to say, um, not to derail this, but I had the thought and then I lost it. Now it's back, so I want to say it. Uh, kind of continuing on the difference between Deep Space Nine and the other shows is um, I actually find it very jarring. I know this is a cornerstone of Star Trek generally to do this, but I find it very jarring in Deep Space Nine when they are all on a ship together. Like, yeah. having yeah. them all on the bridge of the Defiant, <laughs> I found very jarring. Yep. 
just because they're on the ship or because the scene is shot where everyone's in a group together? That, yeah, I th- a little of both because I don't think about Deep Space Nine as everybody on a ship going off to do a mission. And I think it, it doesn't quite, quite work. I think I've brought this up before. It doesn't quite work here the way it does in TNG because in order to do that, they're taking like every important person from DS9 and putting yeah. them on a ship. That's, that's true. And yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, uh, to, to me, it's funny because it's like, when you see them on the Defiant, you are aware in a way that you're never aware on the Enterprise that they are going to do something. Yes. You know, like yeah. it, it's basically if you shot a movie and you saw all the characters in a car and you filmed them driving in the car. Yes. It, it feels yeah. very uh, where the Enterprise is more the place just moves, so it's you're used to seeing them get shuffled around between places and you never think about it. Here, whenever you're on the Defiant, you're like, all right, we're killing time until we get to some place, and then we're right, going to do something right. when we get there. Yeah, and, you know, the the engine of the show is not everybody on a ship going from point A to point B and encountering something, you know, uh, some conflict in between. That's not what drives the show. So when they do it, it does feel very out of place. Um, do, do, do you say, uh, would you say it's a a bad out of place or would you just, no, you just notice it as sort of being um, unusual? Yeah, I don't know if it's bad. I don't think I prefer it. Um yeah, I don't. I don't think I prefer them on on a mission like that. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'm actually the same. I haven't really yeah. thought about it, but it is obvious when I was. It, it only happened for me in this episode. The segment before they realize that they're being sabotaged is like that because once they're sabotaged, it's kind of a different feel to right, it. Right, um, right. But the the thing where they're sort of settling in on the Defiant and flying off somewhere, it does feel very. Um, like family vacation-y sort of yes, like it's, yeah. it's weird that they're all there and they're all hanging out and Odo's standing in the back in the back with his arms crossed and stuff like that it's, it's yeah. interesting um but yeah to 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 speak to what you're saying about the season finale yeah i i it's still it's i think it's a great episode to end with i guess i mean it's a really good episode i don't think it feels like a season finale until the end but i don't feel like i don't feel short changed because they ended their season with this it's still i still feel like the natural season finale was that two-parter um yeah and everything after yeah and everything after that just doesn't feel like it just i mean i guess that's part of the 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 problem of having this sort of structure that is episodic but also serialized because you've placed this big climax point earlier in your season and then everything after that just feels kind of like treading water even if what they're doing isn't bad well here's my here's Um, my question for you do you would you have if you had gone from die's cast right lovok reveals that he's a romulan who's actually a changeling mm -hmm. if you had gone from that to changeling infiltration would you have been like that happened very quickly i feel the episode's important because i need to be i need to get a little bit more of a primer and a reminder that the changelings can do this i think and i don't think that you get enough of a sense that the dice cast is like some people complain about the episode saying that we already know the changelings can do this because we've seen them do it in the dice cast Mm -hmm. i kind of disagree i feel i feel i appreciate the subtle reminder that they are capable of doing this and that they are out there and any bigger of a step in the development of uh, their storyline would feel too abrupt to me. That's fair. Um, yeah, I was actually thinking about whether or not you could put this episode before the two-parter. Because um, I feel like that what Odo says at the end is 
I mean, it's a big deal, but it's still also kind of vague enough that you don't really need to follow it up immediately. Yep. Um, so I wonder if doing this episode and then maybe dropping in another <clears throat> lesser episode and then ending with Dia's cast, uh, or the two part of there would have, would have made more sense. I don't know. I shouldn't say make more sense cause it's all relative, but, uh, um, yeah, I think I it would have, I, I think the twist of Lovak needed to be something that we hadn't seen before. Like that, yeah. that, that someone needed to be played to the extent that they suffered that big catastrophic loss because they hadn't really considered the fact that changelings were doing something like that. Right. Um, this is a little bit, this is a smaller scale event, uh, but I think that it's important to have it. I just, I, I really like the, it's like you were saying, we haven't seen them shape shift so violently before, but it's really, I think it's really important to see what the changelings can do and to have them imitate people to extent that we hadn't seen because Lovak never ships it into somebody else. He was always just a Romulan. So it never really sunk in with the audience. But to see here of, you know, you chase a changeling out of the room, you're around the corner and someone's standing there and you can't be sure if that's a, a person or the changeling anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just kind of, I think that was necessary to show on some level. It was weird that they, <laughs> they introduced that blue guy like so late into the show and then he ended up becoming such a pivotal character. Like he doesn't show up for until they have that like big meeting about halfway through. Yeah. But everybody else on the crew has been there. Like it's just weird to in, to insert that character so late, unless maybe they were trying to do that to make you think, Oh, clearly that's the changeling. Cause we've never seen him before. I don't know, but well, I think it's, I think it was done intentionally. Well, they needed characters first and foremost, but I think it's done intentionally by, you as the audience are unsure what to think about this guy who you've never seen before. Yeah. You know, I guess you, I think it's just that he is, uh, so, so visually blue. jarring. Yeah. <laughs> right. That I think he stand he might like, if that had been any of the, any other, you know, normie in a, in a Starfleet suit, uh, I don't think it would have felt that weird to just to have this random character, but I think it's because he clearly is a, a good, a big makeup job, um, that he stands out. So, last things before we... I have one minor point, then we'll get into the final points here. Uh, did you have any problems with what the changeling knows? Did Did you consider it? Did you think the changeling knew too much information? Uh, refresh my memory on what he knows. Uh, well, he I, uh, the sort of odd example that sticks out to me is when O'Brien is there and Odo's like, Chief, we went kayaking. And the other changeling goes, oh, you yeah. ate rabbit stew. Yeah, that was kind of weird. The... <laughs> <laughs> I almost felt like they were kind of banking on O'Brien not remembering exactly what he had had because because <laughs> Odo says says you ate this and then the other guy goes and he forgot to bring a fork everybody can find that out if I was O'Brien I'd be like did I forget to bring a fork <laughs> I don't I think, remember that <laughs> that would like, have been how a better would you way even, to play it. how would you even figure that out like is there is there like a, a, a public access video log where you can like type in and see, oh, O'Brien, he's there eating lunch and he forgot to bring a fork with him. Yeah. Why is that knowledge that everybody would have access to? Or just some other character chimes in and it goes, God damn it. Everyone knows that O'Brien only eats rabbit stew when he goes kayaking or something <laughs> like that. I don't, I don't, that's what I mean. I don't know. I saw him eat four of those giant popsicles. Everybody <laughs> knows he eats those giant popsicles. <laughs> the jump just sticks. Um, I don't I don't really have a problem with it. I don't know if they needed to have a scene that would kind of explain. I mean, some of it I can get away with. The O'Brien stuff just sticks out to me. Like, if you... 
The changeling, when he abducts the ambassador, I understand that there's time enough for the changeling to learn what this guy would do and how he would sort of go about his business. Yeah. Um, he's been on the ship, so I can understand him imitating Bashir well enough. Uh, Bashir was the best one, I thought, because uh, Siddig plays Bashir slightly different when O'Brien runs into him in the Jeffrey's Tube. Right. It's, it's not quite right. He's like, his performance is a little bit off. And that all makes sense to me. Uh, it's just really the O'Brien, knowing what O'Brien ate didn't make a lot of sense to me. That's the yeah. only thing. The way, uh, the way that they handled Bashir, he is like slightly body snatchery, which is fun. Yes, Because exactly. he's not, yeah, he's he's a, not he's normal. He's just like, yeah, Miles, I'm fine. I'm going How now. are you? Last thing before we go to final thoughts. Um, impact, Odo's, Odo's killing of the other changeling at the end. Um, did the episode sit on that long enough? I don't think they did. Okay. Um, I think uh, I was surprised that Odo didn't show more um, like um, reaction or emotion as to what he actually had done. What do you think Odo thinks? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Because, uh, yeah, he does, they don't really address it. They, they, they talk about how he's been kind of brooding or whatever once they get back to the, to the uh, station. Yeah, he didn't talk to anyone. I, I always get the impression when he comes in at the end, it feels like a scene where he's going to announce his res- uh, resignation. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, actually. Yeah, when he came in, it was going to be him being like, uh, I need to go back to my, my home planet needs me. I need to go now or you know, something like that. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm glad that they didn't do that. Uh, they took a few instances like that where, you know, it feels like those certain beats are coming and they kind of swerved him a little bit. And I thought it, I thought it worked well. I always, uh, the last scene is always one that I, uh, I've talked about this. I redirect it in my head, oddly. Like, I sort of, it was a weird choice to me for Odo to make that announcement in front of everybody. This is such a weird nitpick, but isn't that the scene that you show where Cisco's in his ready room and Odo goes in and talks to him alone? Yes, yeah. It's weird <laughs> that they had everybody there, unless it's just a... Uh, the production team shoots that last, and they just want to say goodbye to everybody. I don't know if that's something, maybe. Yeah, or I mean, it's it's not. It's it's almost like you know, thank you everyone for coming to this Deep Space Nine wide meeting. <laughs> oh, everyone is here, and everyone is listening who can't be here. And Odo has something he'd like to say. We Odo, we, we, we've got they're on the here already. Phone. They're coming. <laughs> they're everybody run. They they should have just had Jake there, you know, and just be like Cisco trying to cover his ears and be like, Jesus, let's start a start a panic here. But yeah, the um <laughs> Ben, it's possible your son is a shape changer. The changelings are everywhere. Uh and I guess we'll have to deal with that when we deal with it. But let's take a break. We'll play an audio clip. Me and Claire are gonna come back, give our final thoughts and read some patron thoughts. Or maybe it won't be me. I don't know. It depends on how much time we spend apart. Starfleet Command wants a detailed report from each of us. Odo, are you all right? I'm fine. I hope I'm not interrupting. Not at all. Have a seat. Captain, there's something you need to know. The changeling, before he died, he whispered something to me. Go on. He said, you're too late. 
We are everywhere. All right. Patron thoughts. The final patron thoughts of season three. We'll be putting up a new post uh, for season four, so you guys can look forward to that. You won't have. Are to we going to debate which one of these pa- patrons is actually a changeling? Oh, that'd be because my game. money's on Matthew Ross. <laughs> Clay still not over the comments from Facets, where uh, Matt Ross was very negative about Facets. An episode that Clay thought mediocre at best. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Uh, Let's see. Christian Pouch says, The adversary. Alien, except the alien looks like you. That's funny, Clay. We didn't even bring up alien, but it it kind of is alien, too, right? Yeah, it's a bit of of both. Um, It's funny. I actually, I have this comic. uh, When when Alien was coming out, Heavy Metal Magazine did a graphic novel adaptation, which was drawn by um, Walt Simonson. Um, Great comic book artist and uh, i have the the reprint of it in the back of it it has some pages that he used to get the job which uh are just pages before the movie came out so nobody knew what the xenomorph looked like or anything so he was just making it up and uh it's a much more kind of like you know spindly like long-armed kind of alien thing so i was actually kind of thinking about that while i was watching this how it fit yeah it felt like that early version of alien a little bit of the thing it's 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 good it's a nice a nice mashup and now we're on to cisco's beard 2.0 honestly there i think the beard 2.0 actually came in before this episode christian so open your goddamn eyes uh, honestly there are problems a lot of the security procedures are pretty lax is the defiant actually big enough for all that's running around how do they not have a secret code phrase how come they can't just pull the power cable and drift until they're picked up But it also has a lot of great things. The tension from the changeling threat, the feeling of powerlessness from the computer takeover, the action of chasing down the changeling, and the drama of not fully trusting those around you. The implications of Odo killing his fellow changeling aren't immediately apparent, but the threat of we're everywhere certainly is. Now that we've spent the last 40 minutes chasing just one around. Do you think... Sorry. Do you think there are too many people on Defiant for this episode? Yes, there are. Yeah, I think so too. They say I there's. I think they say there's 47 people on this. Yeah, show. that's that's like an, another instance of I don't know how the Defiant works as far as the, how much how many people it takes to crew or anything like that. So when you've, it feels like it should be a much smaller crew, but when you get into this episode, it's just like well, there's like 15 people we've never seen before in this show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, and it kind of, you know, I was just gonna say it kind of works. I don't know if it works against. I don't know. Maybe it actually doesn't work against the idea of it could be anybody. Because when you know, you're seeing people, you don't know who they are, but the people on the show know who they are. I don't know. Maybe maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't matter. No, I, I think it's. I'd agree with you. Although I, I actually think about it. There's a scene very early where Cisco's like, "Load up the Defiant with all the photon torpedoes," and I was like, "Is there room to put photon torpedoes on this?" <laughs> like, I, I know it's a warship. I think it's um. Yeah, I mean, I. Here's how I think about the Defiant. It would be a ship that is fairly large because it needs a lot of weaponry on it, right? But the crew mm-hmm. would be minimal because you don't want to lose that many people on it. Right, right. So I would see, you know, a, a skeleton staff and a few people. Maybe 47 people is a skeleton staff on yeah. these things. I don't know. But it's, it is something that I was thinking about as well. Yeah, it, it was just a little weird because I, I think there were more Starfleet people on the Defiant than I have seen in any episode of the show. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, this sets up season four perfectly and shows how DS9 really knows how to give us a cliffhanger without actually giving us a cliffhanger and set up excitement for the next season. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. The next comment about the adversary is Joint Mango. The real adversary has been seasons one to three because, whoa, baby, we've got the way of the warrior coming up. Shit. Thank Shots you, fired. Shots fired. 
Uh, well, I'm saying that, Clay, do you, um, you don't do the season wrap-ups. Do you just want to give a quick thought about <clears throat> how season, If you know, I, I don't expect you to have perfect memory of these things, but do, did you feel a difference That's between season three and earlier? That's probably a good call. <laughs> um, did it feel substantially be... different to you, I guess? Yeah, I would say they're definitely taking some strides forward, um, and they're kind of narrowing in on on what their thing is going to be a little bit better. I think, um, yeah, character stuff is good. They've they've created this adversary for that they're clearly going to be following up on, and they're getting good stuff out of it. <clears throat> like it would be much different if they were setting the stuff up and it wasn't working, but it seems to be working pretty well. I I really noticed the lack of sci-fi B plots. It's like yeah, yeah, night and day. Like they're they're all kind of sci-fi B plots, but they don't have this like uh, quantum singularity off the starboard bow. Like it right, erased all right. of our memories, kind of stuff. Like they, yeah. they've stopped doing those stories. Uh, Neil Brennan says the adversary. Here's one thing Discovery got right. At least their party and magic to make the sanest man go mad looked fun. Track parties like Cisco's promotion party here always looked like post-funeral drink receptions for the shy old uncle that nobody ever really liked. Glad he brought that up because I have I have a question. He's a jolly good fellow. The song, right? Mm-hmm. Have you heard people sing it with where they say, and he's a jolly good fellow, and so say all of us? No, is no, isn't. What is it? For he's a jolly good fellow. For he's a, yeah, for he's, 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 he's got a fellow, and so say all of us. I've heard that, and it makes me so mad because I don't know where it comes from, <laughs> and it just sounds so wrong to me. Because and nobody can deny is the way that that song goes, right? Yes, that's yeah, the way I'm I know used it. to. Nobody can deny. And so say and so say all of us feels like you just you just bought the 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 cereal off the bottom shelf in like the unmarked bag. Was that from Battlestar Galactica? Isn't that what they say on Battlestar Galactica? They say I don't know. And so I say we all. I can't I can't remember where I've heard it, but I've heard it in in multiple things over the years, and it just always feels weird to me. Yeah, it's clunky. It's neither here nor there because it doesn't appear in the show. But I just thought I'd bring it up. Uh, did you think the the party scene was a little bit low caliber? Yeah, was a, it was. Uh, I think it was. Uh, you know, uh, Cisco got less of a party for becoming captain than uh, Nog did for getting uh, accepted into Starfleet. That's true. That's true. Although his father pushed it on him, I, I get the sense Cisco would. Um, maybe he's not like. I think Picard would totally turn down the party. Cisco would have a small yeah. party. I think, and yeah. Kirk would have a rager. Uh, that's how yes. I describe the captain. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine uh, Picard turning down the party, but then the rest of the crew has a party without him later. Yes. Right. Riker uh, buys up the bar, 10 forward. Exactly. Has, yeah. has fun yeah. with it. Matthew Ross writes, The adversary, the thing meets Star Trek. A good concept with a sort of horror component, although I'm not sure that the changeling thought it through. How would they escape exactly? And since we know Cisco is going to take everyone, uh, why not shunt him on the sabotage ship and then do something at the station? I think, well, what do you think, Clay? I think the Changeling went in knowing this was a suicide mission for him. Yeah, I don't know. That's it probably. That's that's tough to, to parse out. Tough to parse out. Um, yeah, I don't... S- prob- probably, yeah. Um, yeah. You have to imagine that, uh, at the very least, um, you know, they they had to have thought. Well, they're either going to blow this ship up, or if we actually do manage to fire on these guys, they're going to fire back at us or something. I don't know. They, he probably yeah, it probably wasn't getting home to see his kids was probably not the thing he <laughs> thought he was going to be doing the following weekend. Let's put it that way. The, the changelings have also shown that they don't mind sending off people 
to abandon them. Like Odo was that. They just shot Odo off into space to see where he ended up and to come back and tell them stuff about it. Um, do, 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 do. Odo must now live with being the only changeling to kill another in a while and the knowledge that the Dominion has already infiltrated his shadows of other conspiracy scares like uh, Conspiracy from TNG as well as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Finally, though, Cisco's a captain, but too much hair, and we're going to fix that. <laughs> I thought the acting was pretty good all around. Maybe, though, have one more person in a section, a weakness in engineering, right? But for all its flaws, the one question that comes up, what do they do now and whom can they trust? That was my, uh, that's a good point by Matthew. I thought teams of two was a bad Cisco call. Teams of three are more appropriate, I think. when one, right. If one of you can be taken over and the other one is just looking away, I think you need teams of three who can constantly be looking at each other. Yeah. Uh, let's see that's it those are all the comments for adversary we're done Clay we're done with season three of Star Trek Deep Space Nine we made it how many seasons are there seven four five six and seven remain in front of us no that should be good I'm looking forward to it it's starting to uh, starting to heat up no honestly I think season four is really the the first ten episodes of season four are if I'm remembering properly like uniformly very good uh I think the rest of the season is no slouch either, but I just remember, I remember thinking that there was a big step up in quality um, in season four. It is Cisco, Cisco, Cisco shaves his head, and uh, you know, we're always looking back after at that point. <laughs> uh, when is the uh, uh, the Tribbles episode where they go back to the original series? I think that's that season five. Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so we're done. So, what do you want to give this one? I guess one of four. Yep. I give it a four as well. Um, I don't know if I expect more from a season finale, but I don't know if I can hold that against this uh, against this episode. I, I give this one a four more just because I feel like it's a vital episode to watch of the, se- yeah. the series, and I think that it's important for that reason. Now, I can't remember the season finales from the previous seasons. Sure. But do you feel like Deep Space Nine doesn't care as much about ending on a uh, like a big note as um, TNG did yes that's certainly the first season is the Bajoran episode so it's a very calm sort of like Bajoran politics thing the second one is Jem'Hadar which is a bigger event right right Um, and then there's this one but it, it certainly doesn't end with the bombast although the next couple do end with bombast. Interesting. Um, so it it, it it doesn't stick to a formula like TNG does. I guess they kind of right, do right. a different, a little bit of a different thing each time. Um, and they never, it's never a cliffhanger. Is the only issue. Uh, right. So it's never a part one of two. All right, we're done. I'm also going to give this one a four. Uh, I think it's very, I think it's pretty strong. It's a good homage genre Star Trek stuff. It was fun to watch. It's got a little bit of action. It's got a little bit of deception. Fleshes out the changelings, all that stuff. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. If you're on uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can support the show there. All the social media links, Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Join the Discord if you want to join the conversation. Uh, and then you can go to Patreon, as I mentioned, is the best way to support the show. If you don't want to support the show on Patreon, all I'd ask is that you rate the episode or the, rate the podcast on iTunes. And as Clay, you pointed out, you can do that on your phone nowadays. So yes. There's really no reason not to, right? Yep. Do it. I actually, I don't have an iPhone, but I took my wife's phone and I rated a few podcasts just because of how easy it was. I just, I just sat there <laughs> rating podcasts. I gave all of our competing uh, comp- uh, competition one-star reviews, Clay. Yeah. Because that'll show them. 
infiltrate the star rating. Nobody ever <laughs> says to do that, do they? It's always give me a star rating. It's never, hey, find my competition and destroy them. <laughs> it's just so negative, just so so nasty. Hey, it's killer instinct, man. That's what you need to succeed in the world of Star Trek podcasts. Where the podcast is actually moving up the uh, iTunes thing now. Uh, people have been rating it since we asked so nicely and since the phone thing was revealed that people have been dropping reviews. It does move us up a little bit. There's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of dead podcasts in the way that I'd like to jump past. But if you guys would... Kindly rate the show. I don't ask much. It's all I ask. We're uh, now the fifty-fourth Star Trek podcast out of a possible two hundred. Yeah, we're on. We're on page three of the yeah. results. So <laughs> if if you have a lot of free time and you're clicking through, you'll eventually find them. You know what we got to do? We got to get someone on the show and just say that they were an actor on the show. Yep. Like one of the side, and just be like, "Yeah, he's got some really interesting stories to tell," and then that'll bump us way up. No, I was thinking because uh, people on Twitter were telling me that uh, I have to attend the Star Trek Las Vegas thing next year, um, and I don't know. Yeah, maybe. put a put a Patreon. Uh, it is a goal. It's th- a goal yeah. now. Oh, it is. Know? Okay, yep. interesting. So if we get to if we get to an absurd, not an absurd, but if we get to a decent amount of money on the Patreon, I would be willing to go out to Las Vegas. But I was thinking, uh, always thinking about the podcast, Clay. Is I would have to go out and just hold a little handheld recorder and ask each of them to say something with the title of the show in the name. Oh, and then just yeah, there you go. Front. Yeah. yeah, I I bet that's half the people in line for all of the autographs. I know, I, I, but I was I was really thinking about it. It's like I'll make a little card so I don't have to. We don't have the awkward thing of being like me trying to teach them a line without a script in front of them. Like right. I'd print out a little card. I'd just say, "Read this. You get one take. I'm not going to ask you to redo it, and then I'm going to get out of your way." My son's a huge fan. Would you mind just saying something to him? His name is uh, the Penske File uh, Pod Paul <laughs> po- Podcast. It's a podcast. Just just say it, you it like doesn't the make podcast. any. <laughs> <laughs> the name doesn't make any sense. They're all asking what the hell the title means. Who knows? Anyway, guys, thank you very much. You can check out Patreon. And as always, the Captain Tier patrons will give a big thank you since we're at the end of Season 3 right now. Stephen Cobb, Matt Flores, Samuel Custer, Santos Gonzalez, Robert Cummins, Andrew Carolog, Matthew Cutler, Spinobi, Russ Graham, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrie Mobility, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Venler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Cal Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif, Thank you very much. And guys, if you are scheduled to make an appearance on an episode soon, I will be reaching out shortly and we'll schedule something that we need to do. So don't worry. Clay, we're done. Excellent. On to to season four. And we'll see Cisco with a shaved head, Kira with a new haircut, and Mr. Worf. Are you excited for Worf? Hell yeah. I am excited for Worf. Yeah. It's about time someone who doesn't fuck around showed up on this this star base. (laughs) I have a lot to say about... No time for laughs, Mr. Quark. I got a lot to say about uh, Worf, I think. Is he going to pants Bashir like, as soon as he gets there, just to prove Gives a point? Gives him a swirly. Yeah. Um, keep I your eye on... If, I would love it if he and O'Brien are, are, you know, act like they're you know, frat brothers or something from the Enterprise yeah. and just turn into like a clique of assholes. <laughs> um, you'll have to let me know when Worf walks on, stream, on screen the first time who becomes more aroused, you or Chief O'Brien. Just look for the, <laughs> look for the Chief O'Brien scene when Worf shows up because it's my favorite thing ever. Uh, that's about it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We're done with Season 3. On to Season 4. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot. Uh, much appreciated. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And Season 4 is where the show really starts, right? This is serious business. The war is a-brewing. The Dominion storyline kicks off and all that stuff. And the show has really settled into itself at this point. Uh, That's it. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guys, we'll see you next time.